Welcome to the Avenger Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message from our Relationship Goal Series. Well, we're glad that you're here today again. We are in week four, the final week of our Relationship Goal Series. We want to welcome those of you tuning in online. Thanks for being a part of our experience today as well. Well, we've been in this series saying, how do we get there? Right? We see a couple and we go, I want that. I want to get there. But where is there? How do you get that? And over the last few weeks, if you've missed any of these, I would uh, encourage you to go back and watch them. I believe each message will be beneficial to the relationships in your life. But the relationship goals are things that we have to work at, that we got to decide to be a part of our life and our relationships. And so week one, we talked about when uh, healthy couples and couples that get there and have that, they've forgiven debts, that they don't come in expecting something. They come into the relationship knowing that they're going to give something. And so they forgive all the debts that they're not owed anything. In fact, they're going to give everything in return. And then we mutually submit to each other our hopes, dreams, and desires. And we serve one another as Christ served us. It's really not about them. It's really about him. And we do it out of a reverence for what Christ has done for us. And then last week we talked about that sometimes in our relationships we have to throw some things. we got to fling some things. And it's not what you think. It's about flinging off our, our expectations and our frustrations. And, and God said, you know, you bring that to me first. Before you take it to them, take it to him. And that he can handle it and he'll do the work in your life. It's so important to our relationships. This series, our theme verse every week has been John 13, 34 through 35. And Jesus said this. He says, a new command I give you. This was a new thing, a brand new idea. This wasn't normal uh, in their time, in that culture. He says, I want you to love one another. And then he goes, as I have loved you, so you must. Again, there's no wiggle room here. There's no way out of it. If you are a Christ follower that you must love one another the way that Christ has loved us. And then verse 35, we have it included throughout the series, but I feel like it's important for today's message. And he says, and by this, by this kind of love, they will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another with my love the way that I loved you, right? Selfless, sacrificial love. And Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and if you've ever been to a wedding, this is uh, really a very familiar passage where the Apostle Paul is writing the church in Corinth, and what's going on there at the time, again, these were pagan people who had multiple gods that they had worshipped and were into a lot of different things, and this church especially had a lot of issues that Paul was trying to help them work through in the, the two letters that he wrote to them, and this issue of really understanding God as, as one God, a, a monotheistic view of God and who he is and his love was something he was trying to kind of hammer home to these people because they were having a hard time understanding God's love. And he says to this group, you, you know, that you are to please God. You please God by the way you love others and you love others the way that God has loved you. And so he's explaining God's love towards us in this chapter and then how we should then extend it to others. We have to understand the Greek words for love if we're going to get this right. The first one is eros. And so the, the, this is where you're wanting to express love in a passionate, uh, romantic way. You would use that word. If it's phileo, you're speaking of a friendship love like your BFF. You go, I love you, right? That's phileo love, right? You don't want to use the eros love 
in a friendship way. Just, just don't ever do that. It, gets, it makes things get weird, right? Uh, and if you're, uh, you know, a girl could easily put you in the friend zone in a hurry if you use those type of words, right? No, that's not going to go that way. And then there's storge, which is, this is when you're wanting to talk about a family member, the bond of family. And, and so there's these different definitions of love, just like we have love, right? You say you love like your favorite food. I love Chipotle, right? Anybody else, right? I love, but like, right, when I say I love Chipotle and I love my wife, there's a little bit of a different meaning between the two. At least I hope there would be, right? And so you have to understand that the words that they would use, and in this context in chapter 13, the Apostle Paul really, in most of the New Testament, they don't use any of those words for love. They use the word agape love. And agape in the Greek is a love that's not based on emotion, affection, or approval, Agape love was viewed as unconditional love. In other words, agape love comes as a free gift. It doesn't come because someone deserves it. It doesn't come because someone even demands it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is a freely given love. Agape love is a decision that you make to love someone and to put them first and to, to act in the highest regard for that person's interest, whether you really feel like it, or not, agape love. It's the type of love that, that even though it was God took off his robe and picked up a towel and washed his disciples' feet. It's the type of love that was willing to carry your cross and my cross and my sin to a hill called Calvary and then to, to die the death and not just a normal death, the crucifixion. And then while That love is being crucified. He's forgiving and extending mercy to the very ones who are killing. Paul says this is agape love. The way that God loves us and the way that he calls us to love others. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the type of love that Paul is describing. So you have to understand when he's saying love, it's not phileo or Storge is not friendship, family, or even romantic love. It's the love of God. Starting in verse 1, he says this, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, and these are the spiritual gifts, but also in this time, this church, again, they were really into like mysticism. And, and so the, the, the prayer language, the, the language that God could give, they were very you know, enamored by it. And they would seek after these spiritual gifts. And, and Paul says, if, if you can speak in tongues of men or angels, think of that. Like you can speak in a heavenly language that only angels could understand. That'd be pretty cool, right? He says, if you can do that, but you don't have love, He says, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So he says, great religious activity without love is a useless noise. My son's taking drum lessons right now, and as he's learning, right, like, I wish that we could insulate his room better as he's practicing the drums, and and he's here today, and he's getting really good. I I put him on my Instagram. I'm like, superstar, this guy's getting good. Soon, won't be long, he'll be up here, and Ben, who plays drums for us, uh, is actually his teacher, and so, but there's times as he's learning, and then there's times where he will stray away from the actual lesson and just start having some fun on the drums that the noise just permeates the entire house. Literally, I was walking the trash out the other night, and he was practicing. I go, oh, my gosh, our neighbors can hear this. You know, I was like, is that loud? 
And, and to think like that type of noise, that if I was just to grab the, the drumstick and just bang over and over again on the cymbal, you all would be like, ugh, like seriously, why are you doing that? And to think, this is what Paul is describing. He says, all of your activity and all that you do for God, if you can do all of that, yet you don't have love as your motivation, he goes, that's what God hears from you. He goes on in verse two, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy that I can speak things into existence, into the future, that I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, yet I don't have love, he says, I am nothing. So he says, knowledge, faith, power, understanding of God, but you don't have love, he says, you're just a nobody. That knowledge, when it comes to Christ and following him, does not equal depth. That knowledge isn't the metric, that if you have deep knowledge theologically of the doctrine and and what it means to follow God and who he is and have all this understanding of the scripture, yet you don't have love, he says, you're not even getting close to what God wants for you and what he has for you, that it's not the metric he uses, that it's love that is the measurement that God uses. Verse 3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship, meaning like I'm going to give my very life, I'm going to serve until it literally is, is hurting me physically, that I could boast, but, but I don't have love. He says, I gain nothing. He says, anybody who gives to get gains nothing from God. That if your motivation is just, hey, I'm going to give so that I can gain in return. If you're loving someone so that they'll love you, if that's the motivation, I'll do for them in hopes that they'll do for me. He says, if that's your motivation, he goes, you're gaining nothing when it comes to God. And he keeps saying this, if I, if I have this, but I don't have that, if I don't have love, he's saying love isn't an internal thing. It's not a feeling that you have, that, hey, I, of course I love you, of course. He says, no, 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 this type of love is an, is an outward action. In fact, it's very practical, and now he gets into the, the practicality of what love and actions looks like, verses four through seven. He says, love is patient, that love goes last. Love puts the other person first. It's very patient. Love is kind. Another translation says it defers to the other person. I defer to you. I step back so you can step forward. It is kind. It, is, doesn't, it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud or, or jealous that I rejoice in your success. I don't seek the spotlight for myself. I want you to be in the spotlight. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's not in it for the benefit of itself. It, it doesn't ever react in, rank, in anger. It doesn't dishonor. It says, I would rather do anything than dishonor you. If, if, if this would dishonor you in our relationship, I will never do it says it's not self-seeking. Again, here's this idea of going last, putting them first. And, and then in week one, we talked about this. It keeps no record of wrongs. God doesn't keep record of your wrongs. And he says, you don't keep record of theirs. You owe me nothing. There's no debt. I forgive your debt. We have a debt-free relationship. And then he says, and love always protects It acts in a way to honor and to protect. It always trusts. It defaults to trust. It isn't skeptical. It always hopes. It's believing. And it always perseveres. You see, this is the amazing and yet, as we just sang, crazy love of God for us. Paul is describing 
the love that God has for us, that he's patient with you, that he's kind towards you, he's merciful towards you, that he put you first, that he doesn't keep record of your wrongs and your mistakes of your past, right? This is the way that God loves us, and this is the love that Jesus says, as as we heard the new command that he gives us, that we can experience and share through his Holy Spirit. There's a book called The Five Love Languages, and I'm sure many of you have heard of it. It's by Gary Chapman, and I would encourage you, if you've never read the book, to read it, or if you've never taken the quiz, there's an online quiz, just Google it, uh, and you can take the quiz. It takes just a few minutes, and it will tell you what your love languages are, okay? Because all of us uh, receive love different ways, and if we are to love, agape love towards someone else, we got to be able to speak their love language, okay? For me, it's acts of service and words of affirmation. They're almost tied at the top, right? And so for me, if, if I'm going to receive love from someone, it's when they affirm me, they encourage me with their words, or they do something nice for me. So you could get me a gift, and, and look, I'll never turn a gift away, it's all good. But I'm not like, ooh, this is my love language. So Jess knows, like, if I, like on a Sunday, if I come home, and she comes in, and she goes, babe, that message today, it was so good. I mean, it was so good. Like, I was just like, man, this is awesome, right? Like, if she says that to me, I'm like, really? Like, you think so? Like, it was really good? Like, that's just how I feel. It, like, lifts me up. So if she says thank you and, hey, I appreciate that you did this, like, the words are important and acts of service. Like, if, if she does something for me that I'm not expecting her to do, if she knows, hey, Kyle's going to have to do this when he gets home, he's had a long day, so I'm going to do this for him, like, she's speaking my love language. Hers is different than mine. So if I love her with words all the time, it's not always the same. Jess is a quality time person. And so quality time means that I, I, I turn off Sports Center, right, and I look at her. I go, we're spending time together. You're on that couch. I'm on this couch. Let's, just, let's watch the game together, babe. This is quality time. She's like, no, that's not quality time. Like, I need to get face-to-face. Let's talk. Let's spend time together, right? That's her lovely. So when I do that, I'm, I'm expressing to her, I'm putting you first. This isn't natural for me. This isn't what I want, but I'm choosing to love you. So we have to understand the love language of who we're trying to love so that we can love them the way that God wants us to love them. Are you following me today? So make sure you do that. I wanted to put that in there, and it's free. You can do it online. But today I want to talk to you quickly about three practical ways that we can put God's love on display, the agape love. Don't, don't get confused on the type of love we're talking about. The agape, the selfless, sacrificial love of God. How do we do it? First thing is this, is say it. And I know this is very simple. The first two are gonna be very simple and practical, but, but I'm telling you, these will help you if you put these things into practice. You say it. When you think something nice, say it. Say it often. You know, my grandpa always used to joke. He'd say, you know, I told your grandmother on the day we got married that I loved her. And he goes, if it ever changes, I'll let her know. I go, well, grandpa, you know, that's not really going to do a lot for your relationship, you know. But we say it. We say it all the time. It's like a broken record where we're expressing through our words. The love that we have for them, saying thank you, doing nice things, right? Hebrews 13, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, but encourage one another daily, daily. It has to be a part of your routine when it comes to your relationship, that you are encouraging with your words. Studies say that for, for women, it's not, not, not across the board, but for most, for men, it's words of affirmation. 
Like I'm saying, like you affirm them, you thank them, you speak to what they're good at, right? You show the appreciation. And for, for women, it's words of affection. The opposite of my, my papa, okay? Yeah, where you say it, I love you, and I love this about you, right? Where we encourage one another with words. I love you because. Well, what's after that? Because of what? Why? What do I do that makes me love you, right? Because you're selfless, because you honor God, because, man, we have fun when we're together. You're self-sacrificing. You're really my best friend. I don't trust anyone more than I trust you. I would tell you anything. Write it in a card. Send a letter. You know what I mean? Send the text. Write the email. But encourage with your words. Say it. Proverbs 18, 21a says this, that the tongue, think about this, has the power of life and death. That's pretty powerful to think that your words, if used the right way, can bring life back into your marriage. You go, it's dead. No, start speaking life into your marriage. If you use words that encourage you can speak life. Don't speak to where they're at. Don't tell them what they are not. Speak to where you see them going. Speak to what they can become. Stop complaining about the behavior and start speaking life into your And you go, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's even possible. Well, according to Proverbs, the promise of Proverbs says this, that if you speak life, you will get life. But if you speak death, you're gonna get that too. So stop calling your sister Stop calling your friend and complaining about what they're not. Quit gossiping about people in your life. Quit complaining about your parents to your sibling, right? It says if you do that, you're gonna get what you, you reap what you sow. You're gonna get death. Your relationship will never have life. So instead of doing that, just begin to speak life. And it's a choice. You gotta choose to do it even when you don't feel it. But I'm telling you, that's agape love. That's what love does. It's what Christ did for you, right? He believes the best for you. He doesn't speak to where you're at. He speaks to where you could be. He doesn't bring up your past. He thinks about the present and the future. I'm telling you, your words are prophetic. You will get what you speak. So speak to their potential. Start speaking life. Say it. Encourage with your words. Next thing we gotta do practical is do it. How many of you did your homework? Two weeks ago, hopes, dreams, and desires. I told you, ask your spouse what they are. My wife took me serious, so she wrote me a very nice letter. Explained to me. See, that's how she communicates better. Hey, here's my hopes, dreams, and desires. And she brought it to me, and she said, so, hey, what are yours? And I said, look, the teacher doesn't have to do the homework assignment, right? I just grade it. Good job, babe. I got it, you know? I'm on it. She goes, no, I really want to hear it. So it took me a while, though. And then we had a conversation a few days later, and we expressed those things to each other. And so now that I know, agape love says, now that you know, you got to do. You got to do it. What are those desires? You go, well, I don't think they deserve that. I don't even know if I can. You try. You do it. You put it into action. Agape love says, you know them, and then you do them. So when you think something special in their love language, communicate it to them and do it quickly and do it all the time. So when you say you're going to be late or you, you think you're going to be, come home early. Come home before she gets home. Come home before he gets home. You know what they love. You know their love language. Do what they love. Skip the golf outing. Bathe the kids. Come on, somebody, right? For me, it's do the dishes. I joke around all the time. Jess is never more attracted to me than when I'm in the kitchen scrubbing some pans. 
And she's on the couch just chilling, looking at the kitchen like, you're doing good, babe. Keep that up, right? Like, that's love language. Send the flowers when they don't expect it. Clean the car, ladies. Clean out your van, right? I talk about the minivan. I'm telling you, if I can't, if the next time I got in our minivan and it was clean, I'd be like, girl, I love you. Like, like, do those things. Know them. Do them. Write a thoughtful note. Make the bed. Watch their movie instead of the one that you want to watch. Do it. Say it. Do it. Be active. And then last, believe it. Believe it. And and this is the one that I really want to just focus in on for a few minutes today. You see, in every relationship, there's always going to be a gap between what you expected and what you are experiencing. It's called the frustration gap. It's life, right? So you got to communicate. Why are you frustrated? You got to do those things. But I'm telling you, in every relationship, that tension is always going to be there. It's never going to go away. Even if you communicate consistently, you're all on the same page. And what we do with that gap is really what gonna, is going to make all the difference. And so when you have the gap, you can either assume the worst or you can believe the best. And this week, I've been practicing this, just doesn't even know it, in my head, in my heart. So when there was, a, there was a gap, the flesh side of me goes, she knows that I don't want to do this. She knows, but why does she keep doing this? Why is this that way? Why is this? And, and listen, our pro- problems, like if, if I were to tell you what I was actually like frustrated about, you'd be like, dude, grow up. Are you serious? Like, come on, I got real problems. You don't have problems, right? It was something small, but in my mind, I immediately go, why can't she just do that? Why can't she just handle that? Why do I always have to handle this? Why do I always have to do that, right? And so I stopped myself, and I said, you know what? I'm sure she meant to do it. I'm sure she was getting ready to do it, and one of my crazy kids came in and interrupted her. And then it just skipped her mind after that. She just forgot. And it was amazing that when I chose that mindset over the other, the difference it made in my heart. I assumed the best. There was a study that was done, uh, there was a book written by Marcus Buckingham called The One Thing You Need to Know, and it was talking about relationships, and and it said that over a 20-year period, there was a study of couples that had gone the distance, and they were still enjoying the relationship. So it wasn't like they just, you know, suffered through it, so for the sake of the kids or for the sake of the business, that they just stayed together, right? No, it was, hey, we stayed together because we did things, and, and, they, and they go, what would be the common denominator? And so the study was trying to find the common denominator with all these couples of what made the relationship not just survive, but was thriving years into it, post-kids, right? How did they do that? And here's what they said. They assumed this what, that, that, the, that over time, the couples, this was the assumption that the, the people, the psychologists, whoever was studying, that they made, that these couples had just lowered their expectations of each other. That they just lowered the bar. And they go, hey, I just dropped the bar so low, I'm never disappointed. I was happy, right? Like, oh, well, I didn't expect you to do anything. So something's better than nothing. I was expecting nothing, and at least I got something, right? That's what they were assuming. That's what these people had learned to do. But it, it proved to be the exact opposite. It said that consistently, great couples rated their partner higher than themselves. 
that they said, they're better than me. They love better than me. It's amazing, right? And then it said that they had an unrealistic, positive view of their spouse. And this positive view of each other created an upward spiral of love that created trust, that believed the best. And this is what was making the difference. So the recommendation of this book and this study was this, that if you want to have a great relationship, if you want to get to relationship goal status, if you want to get there and have that, it says this is what those couples did. They find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior, and then they believe it. That's what they do with the gap. You can assume the worst, or what they're saying is you can believe the best. So find the most generous explanation of why they did what they did, why this is happening, and he says, and then believe it. And agape love, what Paul said, it always hopes. It always trusts. Hopes means believes the best. It trusts. It's not skeptical. It keeps no record of wrongs. And you will either decide. We all have the same choice to make when it comes to that gap in our relationships. You'll either assume the worst or you'll believe the best. And whichever you decide is totally up to you. And whatever you decide, according to this study, will dictate the outcome of your relationship. You see, love protects the relationship. Love will always come up with a generous explanation. It will always believe the best. It will always hope. It will always trend positive and not negative. It always perseveres, and that word persevere implies that there's gonna be some resistance. There's gonna be times where you gotta push through to love the way that God wants you to, but agape love says, I'm never going to give up. So what do you do with the gap? Do you believe the best? Or do you assume the worst? And that choice is totally up to you. The band's coming. We're going to close out. And I know some of you are sitting there going, Kyle, come on, man. You, you told us early on that, you know, the notebook, Hollywood, fairy tales, they, they don't, this is not realistic. This sounds to me a little fairy tale-ish to me. And I'd say, no, it's, it's not. It's choice. It doesn't mean your relationship's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that there's never going to be tough conversations, but, but what's the alternative? We could do the opposite of what Paul says. We can delight in uncovering their mistakes. We can be skeptical of everything that they do. We can thrive on speculation. We can assume the worst, embrace all the doubt that we have, and end up divorced. And 50% of couples choose that route. But I believe God has better for you. Like I said, it doesn't mean you don't have the conversations. It doesn't mean you don't communicate. It doesn't mean that you don't express what your hopes, dreams, and desires are. But when you have the conversation, when you confront the issue, right, as soon as it's over, you get back to choosing to believe the best, keeping no records of wrongs, and forgiving their debt. In healthy couples, in their relationships, they do this. And they do it. They they give the most generous explanation for the behavior and they believe it until they can't believe it anymore. And I know there's times where it goes, look, the facts are just what they are. They're still having the affair. They're still choosing this and you can't control them. But you believe it until you can't believe it anymore. That's what great couples do. 
That's what relationship status couples do. And I want to encourage you just to try it for a week. Say it. Whenever you think about it, something nice, say it. Text it immediately. Do it. Be a broken record. I love you. I appreciate you. Don't just say I love you. Why do you love me? Because. I love you because. I'm thankful because. Encourage with your words. Speak life. Don't speak to where they're at. Speak to where they could be. Don't gossip behind their back. Speak life into your relationship. You will get what you sow. So do it. Say it and do it. When you think something special, just do it. Write the notes. Send the flowers. Clean the car, right? All those little things over time make a big difference. And then believe it. Assume the best. Believe the best. Don't assume the worst. Believe it. Trust, hope, persevere. If we do that, this is the promise that Paul gives us. And it goes on in verse 8. He explains all that stuff about the agape love of God. And he says, and that kind of love, it never fails. So maybe the relationship doesn't even work out, but you know what? You didn't fail because you did what God told you to do and now you trust him with the rest of it. It doesn't fail you. Whenever you build up, whenever you speak life, it's not gonna fail. It's not gonna backfire on you. It's always going to work. And then he says, and these three things will always remain. Faith, hope, and love. Man, what powerful things that we have, the faith, the belief, the hope, the trust, right? And then he says, but the greatest of all of this is agape love because this is why it's so great because Jesus said when you love like this, it's not just that you, it'll be, bring benefit to your relationships. He says the whole world will know that you're mine. It won't be for your glory, it'll be for his. They go, why do they love like that? I can't believe that couple. Oh, they make me sick, Right? How do they get there? How do they get that? Like people start asking you, how did you guys get, how did you get through that season? How'd you get over that track? What happened? You know, man, we just choose to believe the best. We just try to let God's love go through us. And it's impossible without him. So he says, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all that you have. Heart, mind, soul, body, strength, everything. You love me and then love each other the same way. It starts with him. You gotta have this working. Because he's the one that comes in and through you so that you can love the way that he wants you to do. It's impossible without him, but with him, it's impossible. His love isn't just meant to flow into you. It's meant to flow through you. So you gotta spend time with him. You gotta do all these things we've talked about throughout this series. And if you do this, man, you'll make it. His love never fails. Would you stand with me today?